Coming at you from the Wee Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 33 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. I'm Austin Statton, joined by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxson. Now, with college basketball tournament slate set to tip off this week with dozens of NCAA bids up for grabs of conference tourneys, we're excited about the guests that we have lined up on this week's show. We'll have the voice of the Baylor Bears, John Morris, the voice of U of H basketball, Matt Thomas, and Brent Zorneman, who covers Texas A&M for the Houston Chronicle. Guys, I'm fired up about this week's show. How was the week for you two? I have a problem, guys. I need to be open and honest about it. Last week, I mentioned that I'd watched The Flash. This week, um, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I watched The Arrow. I discovered both of these shows are from The CW, and they are some of the worst television I've ever set through, but I cannot stop myself. So I don't know what to do. It's really consumed my life, and I just have all these terrible soap opera-y dramas kind of revolving through my head as I reflect back on it. So it's been a terrible, terrible week for me. But I'm going to Orlando for the uh, AAC tournament, uh, the American Athletic uh, Conference tournament, and to uh, cheer on my coo- – well, not really cheer them on. I'll be covering them, but internally I'll be cheering them on. So I'm excited about the upcoming week. Hey, Kevin, you need some sports stat. That sounds awful. My week has been very interesting. I got, or uh, my, my girlfriend got a dog, and um, we have been uh, just, it's like being a new parent, so just kind of like nonstop, uh, you know, taking care of him, making sure he's not peeing on something. Um, got him through a rescue here in Houston. It's been it's been great. I haven't had any time to do uh, what I like to do, and that is pay attention to these crazy primaries, um, although I guess we can talk a little bit about that later, but yeah, it's just been a crazy week. Um, I'll have to post some pictures of him at some point. He's really cute. He's like a Corgi lab mix. So he's like a, he's a dog and a half long and a half dog tall. And I assumed you named him Weekly Brew. Is that correct? That's his middle name, but uh, good guess. As soon as you said that you felt like you became a parent, every parent that listens to this <laughs> podcast immediately rolled their eyes. A four month old puppy who was like on the street a few weeks ago. Trust me. He is in every sense as bad as a baby at this point. <laughs> I, okay, worse. parents, feel free to reach out to us via social media and tell us why Jeremy has no clue what it's like actually <laughs> being a parent. Sorry, guys, I can't stop laughing, but uh, Jeremy, we're glad that you got uh, the new pup, and uh, you know maybe that means that you're going to be getting engaged soon, so uh, Carol, look out for a ring soon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Austin, let's walk that back a little bit. <laughs> but for uh, me personally, I definitely enjoyed this week. Uh, I was able to go to opening night at the rodeo, got to spend some time with uh, some good friends and uh, some of my favorite people, and I uh, also went to uh, the Rockets game earlier this week. Uh, with Kevin that was a lot of fun uh, sitting uh, on the floor watching a great game and who cannot forget uh, college baseball is back and I was able to uh, go watch Baylor play U of H and unfortunately uh, Kevin's Cougars dropped Baylor 10 to 4 Saturday night when I went to the game but Overall, pretty great week, and I got to say that I'm really excited about this week's podcast, and uh, we had a lot of feedback, actually, on social media this week, whether it was from Facebook or Twitter. There was a lot of interaction, so we just want to make sure that if you're not following us already on social media, that you could just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and you're going to find all of our content there. Also, you can search online, weeklybrewcast.com. We post our podcast there each week, and speaking of podcasts, if you know, we prefer that you go to iTunes, and we actually had a new iTunes review this week and Kevin will get into that at the end of the show but uh, go there subscribe rate us five stars tell us what you like give us segment ideas or story ideas we definitely want to hear any sort of feedback that you have on the show and we also can't forget about our sponsors we desserts and what better way to talk about we desserts than to bring in one of the chefs from the great bakery now joining us from the we dessert studio is Penny and Penny can you tell the listeners a little bit about what your role is at we desserts I'm the sous chef Jennifer and I are both pastry chefs. We've worked together about five years. We're also really great friends. I think that one of the best things about our bakery is that we want it to be almost like a party every single day. We put on um, some music that people love and that we love. Um, We enjoy being around each other and we consider our customers friends. A lot of the people that come in, you know, immediately become regulars. I think that's the best thing we consider the podcast to be kind of like a family or like a, a group of friends um it's a very large group of friends now thankfully but so we, we we consider you at the bakery to be an extended portion of that we appreciate your support of course and we uh we like that we're all kind of part of one big family so obviously listeners get 10 percent off beignets are only what thursday through sunday now thursday through sunday all day each day i mean it keeps expanding because every time we do it it sells out so but so if it's a time when there are not beignets available what else would people be able to come in and buy 
most people that come in are really into the French macaroons because the great deal that we have, if you buy a dozen or more, they're a dollar a piece. We have uh, 15 flavors ranging from everything from pistachio to vanilla and chocolate, salted caramel, and every single thing in them is made from scratch every single day by me or Jen. So it's amazing. And we also use a very particular recipe, which will make them different than any other macaroon that you see in Houston. They have a different texture. They have a different uh, feel. The outside's very crunchy. And then the inside is soft. Great stuff. And Penny, where can they find you? 3411 Kirby. We're open um, every single day, seven days a week, Monday through Thursday, 1030 a.m. until nine. Uh, Friday, Saturday, 1030 until 10. And then Sunday, 12 to 8. Awesome. Well, Penny, thank you so much for joining me. And we love We Desserts as a part of our family. We consider ourselves a part of your family. And we hope that our podcast listeners uh, will get out and become part of this great, big, large family that we've formed together. Thank you, Kevin. So definitely thank uh, Penny for joining us on the podcast today. And uh, make sure to stop by We Desserts at 3411 Kirby. Tell Penny and Jen that the guys from the Weekly Brew sent you by for 10% off of your baked goods. But as always, we have a packed show on deck, so it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Without question, the Big 12 Conference has been one of the most exciting leagues to watch this year in college basketball, as seven teams from the conference are currently projected to be single-digit seeds in the NCAA tournament. Joining us on the Weekly Brew to discuss the Big 12 and the Baylor Bears is the voice of the Bears, John Morris. JMO, thanks for joining us this week. Austin, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is an exciting time of the year. I couldn't agree more. And, and simply put, the Bears have exceeded a lot of expectations this season, but Scott Drew has his team gearing up for a program record third straight NCAA bid. How is the brutal Big 12 double round-robin schedule prepared Baylor for postseason play? You know, I think it is brutal. It's just there's so many good teams in the league this year, and I really do think it's the best it's ever been from top to bottom. Uh, and I think you're right, seven teams from the league will get into the NCAA tournament. But that being said, uh, and we've got the Big 12 tournament starting this week in Kansas City, uh, I, I think Baylor and every other team that's gone through this league is is almost looking forward to seeing somebody else. <laughs> when you've got the double round robin, you know, and you play everybody twice, home and away, and then you could see them again in Kansas City. Uh, everybody knows everybody else so well. You know their tendencies. Uh, and so it's going to be, I think, refreshing to get out of the league and uh, and play somebody else and see somebody that, that is different to prepare for, somebody that maybe doesn't know you so well. And the other side of that is there are so many different styles of play in the Big 12 that, that I think all the Big 12 schools will be very well prepared for what lies ahead, whoever they face in the NCAA tournament. Now, Baylor closed out the regular season with a 21-10 and 10 record and a 10-8 and 8 mark in league play. And I know there's no such thing as a bad loss, but Baylor's average RPI loss is number 11, which is the nation's best mark. And uh, does that lead you to believe that they might be a tough out in March despite last year's first-round exit? I think so. I, I think uh, losing to Georgia State like we did last year in Jacksonville, Florida, I think that's a real motivating factor going into the tournament this year. I know, I know it was the entire season, and when they started practice, you know, they talked about how they uh, lost unexpectedly, you know, as a much higher seed than Georgia State. And so it's been real motivating all year. And I think that'll crop back up, uh, you know, once we get past the Big 12 tournament and look to the NCAA. So I, I think Baylor is very well prepared. And you know our coaches uh, always do a really good job. They've got a great postseason record. So they, they get the best out of the team, you know, get them playing their best this time of year, which uh, I think uh, and hopefully means that Baylor will play a while in March. Now, John, although Baylor lost on senior night to West Virginia, Rico Gathers, Tarian Prince, and Lester Medford all played a crucial role in this year's team. How important was it to have their leadership, especially with the emergence of Prince, who many say could be a first-round pick in the upcoming NBA draft? Yeah, and he was named Sunday first-team All-Big 12, so that's a great honor for him and for the program. And it was a disappointing loss on senior day. I just felt so bad for those guys. You know, I know they wanted to go out with a victory, and you could you could feel and see the emotion uh, in, in their voices, you know. And uh, when Rico fouled out, you could tell how emotional he was knowing that that was it for him in a game at the Farrell Center. So they, they are key. You know, in the postseason, in, in the NCAA tournament, you always hear that guard play is really important, and it is. But I think that senior leadership and veteran guys, I think that may be equally as important. And we've got some good veteran guys, and those three you mentioned now, or, or two of the three, will be making their third straight NCAA uh, tournament appearance. 
and for Lester it'll be his second straight. So I think, uh, you know, for these guys that, that uh, you know, haven't been through the war so much, I think that could be a real benefit for Baylor here in March. You had just mentioned Rico Gathers and the emotion that he showed during yesterday's game against West Virginia. Uh, you know, the announcers had commentated that, you know, some people were suspecting that, you know, maybe he was kind of checking out because of uh, his prospects in the NFL and you know one of the things that I know for the last four years is whenever watching games you always hear about Rico's athletic ability and that coach Browles would love to have him on the gridiron and Rico just a few weeks ago said that his future is in the NFL as a tight end what do you make of his chances in pro football I don't know I I, I think it's a long shot but I think that he is athletic enough that somebody may give him a chance and that's all he wants is to get a chance to get a tryout to maybe come into a uh, an OTA for an NFL team, maybe even get to a, a camp uh, with an NFL team. And I'm really pulling for him. I, I like the guy a lot. He has, uh, you know, he's been so fun to be around his four years here at Baylor and leaves as Baylor's all-time leading rebounder and top 20 in scoring also. And he's, uh, you know, he's got to go find a job now. He's got a wife and a son, and uh, it was fun to see all of them there on senior day with him and his parents. Um, so he, he uh, I, I hope he does well. But I just I think I have a lot of respect for NFL guys, you know, who work so hard to get to that point, to get to a game. And I'm not saying Rico can't do it, but for a guy that hadn't played football since junior high, uh, it's going to take somebody really special to all of a sudden now say, I think I'll play football and I think I'll do it at the NFL level. <laughs> but I hope it works out for him. I really do. Thursday, we have Baylor uh, squaring off against Texas. You know, two, Obviously, we're doing a Texas college basketball uh, program today, and, and those are two exciting programs um, kind of on the rise still. And so you look at the season, they've split the series. Uh, I guess Shaka Smart, you know, getting a lot of credit for what he's done at Texas there. What do you make of that matchup in terms of who might potentially win it? And then what do you think of the season that Texas has had under Shaka Smart? Yeah, it's a great matchup. It's a tough matchup for a quarterfinal game, but who would you rather play? You know, would you rather, you know, from a Baylor perspective, would you rather play Iowa State? Would you rather play Oklahoma? <laughs> you know, so Pick it is poison. really tough. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Uh, Baylor and Texas did split during the regular season. UT won in Waco. Baylor won in Austin. Really one of Baylor's better games this year was that game in Austin where they played really good defense. They, uh, they weren't bothered at all by the press. They made Texas pay for their press and got some easy layups, really. Uh, were really good three-point shooting, if I remember correct, in Austin. So, uh, so it's going to be a really good matchup, one of a number of great matchups in Kansas City this upcoming week. And uh, I think Texas has done really well. Uh, you always hear about teams taking on the you know, persona or the personality of their head coach. I think Texas has done that with Shaka Smart in the first year. He's really energetic. You know, he's, uh, he's uh, you can tell, fired up on the sidelines. And I think the team has played that way. It took him a little while to get over the loss of Cameron Ridley with the injury. But uh, after that, shoot, man, they were right there with anybody in this league. So it's going to be a tough matchup, Baylor and Texas, on Thursday. Shaka Smart did a great job uh, at VCU just taking that team to, you know, deep in the tournament year in and year out. And uh, right now he's he's that he's got that young coach. The team's obviously taking on his persona. How important is it for the league to have, you know, Texas almost being back at a national level, having that, you know, national exposure? Is, is that good for the league as a whole? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, it, but they're not the only ones, you know, uh, for Texas to sort of be back in the national picture again. Maybe they had slipped the last few years under Rick Barnes. Uh, to be back in that picture and be back in the NCAA tournament this year, it's certainly good for them and their program. And I think it's just another feather in the cap of the Big 12. Uh, if you look at them being one of seven teams from the league that should be uh, should have their name called on Selection Sunday. So uh, it is. It's good for the league overall. You know, any time that we've got programs that are nationally prominent that, uh, you know, that are on that board come Selection Sunday. One thing I'm curious about is I've heard a lot of commentators, actually in the NBA they're talking about, you know, Steph Curry, the three-point line, moving it back. Uh, and a lot of commentators have said that college basketball is broken, it's unwatchable, it's bad, too much three-point shooting. I mean, just from your standpoint, you watch a lot of college basketball. Would you say that there is anything wrong with the product that needs to be improved, or are these commentators just sort of missing it? I love it. I, I think it's as good as it's ever been. You know, consider this season and not just in the Big 12, but nationally, uh, what's the number? There have been six different teams that have been ranked number one over the course of the year. 
There have been more upsets of top five teams this year than there's ever been in a single season uh, in the league. The Big 12, you know, is a great uh, sort of microcosm of that, the number one RPI league. And we've got, you know, as deep a league as we've ever had, and there's upsets almost every night. So I think the, uh, the uh, advent of the shot clock to 30 seconds instead of 35, I think that was a good move. Uh, you know, maybe somewhere down the road you have to extend the three-point line, but I don't think that's a must. Um, so I, I don't think it's broken by any stretch. I think it's been a great, great season. And I think that's going to play out in the NCAA tournament because there are so many really, really good teams. You know, maybe not a, a great team, not one team that, that you could hang your hat on, but so many really good teams that could make it to the Final Four in Houston or, uh, you know, win the whole thing this year. Switching gears to the Big 12, seven teams are projected in the NCAA field with Kansas and Oklahoma vying for a number one seed. What are your uh, expectations for the league during March Madness, especially considering how disappointing last March was for the conference? Yeah, I hope it's good because last year was disappointing, and Baylor, you know, has to own its, its share of that, losing in the first round as a number three seed. So Baylor's got to do better. I think the league as a whole has to do better. Uh, this league is uh, the number one RPI league, uh, close to the top RPI percentage ever in the history of college basketball this season. Uh, but there's folks around the country that are saying, okay, let's see how they do in March. So I think a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of maybe media, you know, a lot of other schools and other conferences are saying, you know, is the Big 12 just good, a good league where they beat each other up, or are they really, really as good as the numbers would indicate? You don't know when you're playing each other. Let's find out in March. So I, I think to, uh, you know, sort of verify what the league has done during the regular season, they're going to have to make some noise uh, in the NCAA tournament, meaning, uh, you know, seven teams getting in is a great start. Maybe four or five of those getting to the uh, second weekend, the Sweet 16, and maybe one or two uh, making it to Houston for the uh, Final Four this year. So, uh, yeah, the Big 12 is going to have to certainly uh, lift its game to, uh, to that level, I think, to convince some people, you know, that the league really is as good as we've been saying all year. Yeah, we're really excited about the Final Four coming uh, back to Houston, and uh, we've kind of been ramping up for that ourselves. Uh, asked Reed Geddes what his opinion was, and he says at the time, that was a couple of weeks ago, no idea who's going to be here. I mean, what are your projections in terms of the teams that we might see here in Houston, and particularly uh, who might be your NCAA Player of the Year or a player we might be able to see up close and personal uh, just outperforming everyone else uh, in Houston? Yeah, good question. I, I you know, Reed, uh, I'll follow his lead. I have no idea because it really could be any of – you know, maybe 20 teams, uh, that may be stretching a little bit, but maybe 10 to 15 teams have uh, a, as good or better a chance to get to the Final Four this year. Uh, and, and so that'll be fun to watch. You know, the NCAA tournament is such a great event uh, because of the uh, upsets and the, uh, you know, the great games and the buzzer beaters and all of that. So I think we're in store for a lot of that this year. Uh, it's, uh, I was talking to my family last night at dinner you know, we just uh, do a bracket among ourselves. There's no wagering. Make that point. There's never any uh, money on the line. <laughs> it is just our family doing that. And uh, I was telling them this is going to be hard to pick this year because there are so many really good teams. Uh, and as far as player of the year, uh, the best one I've seen is Buddy Heald from Oklahoma. He is the uh, Big 12 player of the year, and I think he'll get he'll be in the conversation for national player of the year. Uh, he's just had a fantastic season, 25 points a game. And he's not just a scorer. He's a good assist man. He's a good rebound uh, person. And he makes that team go. You know, that's a really good team around him also. So if I had to pick somebody, you know, just judging by the people that I've seen, uh, Buddy Heald, I think, in my book, would be the player of the year. That seems to be the consensus from a lot of the experts that I've heard, uh, you know, the past few weeks, whether it's on ESPN, local uh, radio, or, you know, just what you see in print, but kind of circling back to Baylor. And again, we have John Morris, who is the voice of the Baylor Bears. Uh, I, I just look back to my freshman year at Baylor, which was 2005, 2006. And uh, for those that aren't familiar, uh, Baylor actually did not play a non-conference schedule that year. Uh, they only played in the spring in 2006. And I believe they went 4-12 and in Big 12 play. But uh, just to see what Scott Drew has done from my freshman year to seeing him make, you know, take the Bears to three straight NCAA tournaments, it, it means a lot as an alum to see, you know, him kind of put that effort toward the program and to see, you know, his hard work 
actually create results and, you know, create a sense of pride for the university. What has been your experience working with Scott Drew over the last, you know, uh, you know, 10, 15 years and just seeing how he's kind of made Baylor from, you know, the laughing stock of the Big 12 to a national power? Yeah, I think he's just great. I think he's a perfect fit for Baylor. Uh, he's a strong Christian man. You know, they, they have uh, chapel service each game day, you know, along with their scout and their pregame meal. You know, there's chapel involved with that. You know, at the end of every game, whether it's a win or a loss, they uh, circle up, put their arms around each other's shoulders, and they have a word of prayer, you know, right there on the court. And that's not a showy thing. I mean, it's something that they really believe in. And one of the ways that Coach Drew and his staff have invested in the lives of these, uh, these guys that have come through here through the years. So, you know, that's the couple of examples of how well he fits the culture of Baylor, the mission of Baylor University and Baylor Athletics. And he's a darn good football, I mean, basketball coach also. Uh, you know, to get Baylor, when he took the job, uh, you know this, you remember this, there were probably a lot of coaches that wouldn't have touched that job. As bad as Baylor had been, as deep a hole as they were in, headed to NCAA sanctions. You know, why would why would somebody go there knowing that it was going to take a two or three or four year rebuilding program just to get back to uh, being competitive? But Coach Drew, I think he was 33 years old or maybe mm-hmm. 31 years old at the time, said, yeah, I'll take that challenge. And, uh, you know, thank the Lord that he did because he's just been great for Baylor through the years. And it just can, and he sustained it, too. You know, it's one thing to get a program up on its feet, get it running, maybe make an NCAA tournament, which they did in 2008. But then to sustain it and have three uh, Sweet 16 appearances over the last six years and now three straight NCAA tournament appearances, he's, uh, he's great. You know, I wouldn't trade Coach Drew for anybody in the country, and that includes his staff, you know, that works so hard alongside Paul Mills and Jerome Tang and Grant McCasland. Uh, it's just a great, great staff and a great group, and they represent Baylor really well. Well, we're looking forward to watching the Bears this week in the Big 12 tournament and definitely excited to see uh, what they could do in the NCAA tournament, hoping for uh, you know selfish reasons that they make it here to Houston for the Final Four. But, uh, uh, John, we definitely appreciate you joining us this week on the podcast. And for those that are interested in following you as you're in Kansas City and following the Bears uh, through the NCAA tournament, where can they find you on social media? I am uh, at Voice of Bears, at Voice of Bears on Twitter. Twitter, and I uh, just now starting to dabble in Facebook a little bit too. So, so check that out also. But I guess most often at Voice of Bears, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Great uh, conversation, and uh, looking forward to the Big Twelve tournament and beyond. Well, it's been our pleasure, John. Uh, thanks for joining us, and sick and bears. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. While Coach Tom Herman and the Cougs get a lot of credit for what they're doing on the gridiron. Kelvin Sampson is doing a remarkable job with the men's basketball team at the University of Houston, winning nine of their last 11 games, including a 69-56 win over Cincinnati last Thursday night that clinched the number two seed in this week's American Athletic Conference Tournament. As we gear up for the AAC tourney and evaluate the Coug season, there's no one better to bring on to the show than Sports Talk 790's Matt Thomas, who is also the voice of U of H basketball. Matt, how's it going? Very good. I appreciate the nice words. Hey, well, we definitely appreciate you coming on the show, and I guess let's just start off with the Cougs. I mean, last year they were 13-18 and 18 on the season. They're 22-8 and eight right now, gearing up for the tournament. What has been the biggest difference for this team from year one to year two under the direction of Coach Sampson? Well, uh, I'm going to give you an overly simplistic answer. It's talent. Um, Damian Dodson comes in from uh, Oregon. Uh, you have Rob Gray, a junior college transfer, who really became the team's probably best player when they went on their preseason trip to China. That's what Coach Sampson says. Galen Robinson has been fantastic as a uh, freshman point guard. Uh, the team is deeper. Uh, you know, they've not been very consistent at the five position, but at times Kyle Meyer helps out. Burke Colley from a defensive stand has come in and helped blocking shots and altering things. Uh, Ronnie Johnson gets to play, you know, after sitting out the transfer year from Purdue. It's a question of being a deeper team with nice depth at four to five positions. Uh, and, you know, Devontae Pollard stepping up and, being even a a bigger uh, go-to guy. Uh, So it's a nice round squad that different guys can be heroes. You don't have to rely on one particular player to to put in 25 points every night and expect to win. 
It's worth noting that the reason the Cougars were so challenged last year had a lot to do with the players that left uh, when Kelvin Sampson took over. And I was kind of always curious, what what was the reason for that? Because it seems like Kelvin Sampson's a guy players would want to play for. And then kind of given that, I mean, has he uh, accelerated this process quicker than anyone expected? Absolutely. And, and what Kelvin has told me, and, and it's, you know, to each kid his own, but Kelvin says he didn't, he couldn't convince him to stick around. When James Dickey resigned, they were out. They didn't care if you'd have brought uh, Rudy Tomjanovich or Pat <laughs> Raleigh would have co- coached the Cougars. It was, I, I have an opportunity to get out. Uh, you know, you got to remember, family influences are huge. Uh, and look, mm-hmm. Tayshawn Thomas had a chance to go play for a very successful Oklahoma team. Uh, Daniel House is obviously doing some great things at Texas A&M. So, you know what, if you don't want to be at the University of Houston, you know, no one's going to begrudge you. That kids transfer all the time. I do, however, not so much this year, but think about how good last year could have been if the majority of the players that left would have stuck around, especially those two guys. But you know what? Uh, that is so far in the rearview mirror for me as a as a broadcaster and as a fan and as an alum of the school that I, I just I love this basketball team. Really good kids. They work hard. They buy into what Coach Samson. And look, I've only known Coach uh, for a handful of years between here at U of H and when he was an assistant with the Rockets. But it seems like you know. The, the move for him to come back to college and get his mojo back and for these kids to get their mojo back has been just a perfect combination for both sides. Yeah, and, and Samson's an interesting figure. I've enjoyed getting to know him as well, and I, I kind of sit there right there with you. I'm an alum. you know, I'm a, a sports journalist. So I'm supposed to be objective, but it's hard not to love these kids and this team watching them. And do you think that uh, kind of with the new facilities that are coming, they have the new practice facility, obviously the renovations of Hoffines, are they building a program that's going to be more attractive to some of those higher talent, higher top-tier talent kids coming in? Well, there, yeah, there's no question that the Guy B. Lewis uh, – building that uh, the basketball performance center is a game changer um you know no more practicing at hall finds no more going to melcher gym or anywhere else they could find you know the athletics alumni center uh, this is a building of their own where those kids can shoot 24 7 they have great locker rooms they've got nutrition they've got weight centers you know let's be honest as much as we as fans want a great arena the kids play in the arena 15 16 times a year max it's about where they spend most of their season getting ready for those games inside arenas that that makes a huge difference and i know again the general fan base doesn't want to hear that but if you ask kids if you were to place you know how important an arena is it's important but let's just say hall fines was filled every night with eight thousand people they wouldn't care if there were modern suites they wouldn't care if the seats were crickety or there were you know bubble gum wrappers from 10 years ago they want the place filled and i think that's where the fans come in that the Cougar fans that have watched this basketball program be dormant for so many years would like to come back, but, you know, part of the arena charm just isn't there. So the performance facility has certainly helped, I think, uh, incrementally. Uh, and then obviously, you know, at some point when this arena gets uh, refurbished in a couple of years, that'll basically put everything in place for Houston Cougar basketball to not only maintain what they're doing, but frankly keep some kids in the Houston area that know who Hoffines and what Hoffines is and how it is in a place that that draws great numbers. The fans, I think, will come back much like uh, what we saw this past year with the football team in the brand-new TDECU Stadium. Kind of drawing parallels to the football team, Coach Tomlin has made a, a huge deal about the H-Town takeover. Uh, you know, this past year's uh, signing class, I mean, it kept some of the uh, most talented kids in the city of Houston with the Cougar program. Now, for college basketball, I mean, Houston is a hotbed. I mean, just right now, you've got Rashid Suleiman doing great things at Maryland, uh, Justin Jackson, who's doing great things at North Carolina. Last year, Justice Winslow at Duke. Do you think that, you know, Coach Sampson can maybe, you know, kind of jump on that H-Town takeover parade and, you know, try to convince some of these high-profile recruits to stay in town? Well, you know, my only thought on that is, is that, you know, first of all, each coach wants to be their own. So that's Tom's, uh, you know, bit, so to speak. That's his thing, and I think Kelvin just wants to, you know, look, Kelvin Sampson won a lot of his life, whether it be at Oklahoma. He even won in Indiana in the short time he was there. He won at Washington State beforehand. So, you know, he's he's 60 years old. He's not going to go run to social media to try to keep kids. Now, his staff might, and that certainly is a, is a big help on that. He just knows how to win, and that's the most important thing. I will say this. I've never really particularly cared where kids come from uh, whether they're from uh, Houston, Texas, or Topeka, or Seattle. But there have been some kids that have been on the Cougar radar that just couldn't get past it because the facilities, when they would go to, say, uh, Marquette, or they would go to, say, places like Wake Forest, or 
not even the Dukes and the Kentuckys. I'm talking about the next level down that they haven't been able to get conversations with, and I think they're getting them now. That's where I'd be very curious to see how they do against kids that maybe want to go to Texas or Baylor or Oklahoma State. Look, if you're if you're a top 15, top 20 player in the country, Dukes and Kentucky is going to always beat you out because of their legacy and what they've been able to build. But it's against the next level, the top 25, the top 30 programs, where I think all the things we just talked about, a brand-new Hawthorne, the new performance center, it, that's where it's going to be able to bring in, and along with Coach Sampson and winning, that they're going to get kids like that that they had no chance of getting, say, you know, even five or six years ago. With six road wins uh, in the American Athletic Conference, that is, I believe, the most since the 89-90 season. So, you know, Coach Sampson always says winning on the road is hard in college basketball. So, what I mean, what is it about this team? What is it about the character or his coaching or what enables them to be so successful uh, on the road, at least relative to recent history? Well, I'll say this. They take tremendous care of the basketball. In a game against Cincinnati, I think they had five turnovers last night. They've been around 10 or 11. And so, you know, look, guys, shooting is going to come and go. This isn't a terrific perimeter team. It's streaky as all get out. And when they streak, well, it's fun to watch. Uh, but they don't make a lot of mental mistakes. And I think that's a huge part of it. So even on nights where you're only shooting, say, 40 or 41% from the floor, if you're not giving the other teams extra possessions, you are clearly giving yourself a chance to win. I feel like this team takes a lot of charges, way more than the other teams that I watch when I call Cougar games. Um, they're starting to make their free throws. It's the little intangibles. And then, like I said, on nights where they streak shoot well, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing to watch. So I think the, the pushing of the tempo, trying to outrun kids on the floor, literally running them out of the gym, getting back on defense, taking some charges, and a, an unsung hero on a night where you're not shooting well is the ability to grab offensive rebounds. And when you are top three in the conference and you've been all season in that particular category, that's just going to give you extra possessions and second-chance opportunities. And uh, those types of things pay off when you are going into some hostile places like we've gone so far this year you know, like Cincinnati and Temple in Connecticut this past weekend. One of the things that I'm curious about is the Cougs right now, they sit at 22-8 and eight heading into the AAC tournament. Their RPIs at 71, strength of schedule at 124. I've seen a few, you know, kind of March Madness projections that have them on the bubble, but part of that next four or, you know, next eight out. So they're kind of right now on the outside looking in. What do they need to do? in the ACC tournament to, from an NCAA perspective, to make the tournament, do you think they have a shot at an at-large bid despite the RPI and strength of schedule? Well, the cougar in me says, why not? Uh, but the realist <laughs> in me says that it's going to probably have to take them getting to win the championship game. Now, look, their record against top 100 teams is really good. Um, you know, and with Temple playing as well as it has been, and the fact that, you know, Cincinnati has been in, in receiving votes and UConn, I mean, these are all quality wins they've picked up. The problem is the non-conference schedule did them no favors. Uh, and, you know, they needed that. They needed to get some wins to get their mojo back of, of a couple of years ago. So I, I hate to say that November and December is maybe the reason why they may not get in. But in reality, uh, if you added one or two more quality opponents and, and, you know, didn't schedule the way that they did because they just didn't know what kind of team they had, I think ultimately it makes a difference. So it is fun for me to see that they're in that, as you said, next group out. Um, I just, my gut tells me they're going to have to still win the thing because I just, you know, even with all the wins, I mean, look, guys, we've seen SMU a couple of years ago that was in a high ranking uh, going to the tournament. We thought their RPI was good enough, and they had one loss to, of course, our Houston Cougars, and that bounced them out of the NCAA tournament. So uh, for me, uh, I'd like to have a glass half full say that they're going to have enough, but ultimately, I think the only way at this point the Cougars get in is if they win the entire tournament, which I think the way they're playing and as streaky as this team has been and the fact that they've beaten all the upper echelon teams and they're seeding right now in the tournament where they're not going to play probably a super heavy hitter until the championship game bodes well for them to at least be in the championship game. Hypothetically, the Cougars do not win the AAC tournament, uh, and they're probably looking toward an NIT bid. Would that be a success for the program? I mean, you're looking at probably hosting one to two games in the NIT. Would that be a success for the program in year two under Samson? No question it would be. Uh, Kelvin and I talk about this all the time. He says, hey, Matt, you know, if I had told you in November we were going to win 20-something games and go to the NIT, what would you have said? I said, you're crazy. So, yeah, um, the talent has been terrific. As I mentioned, the depth has been really, really good. It's a basketball team that really has had one very disappointing performance. The home loss to USF stings, and that probably also is part of the reason why uh, it's going to be hard to sell on, the, on an at-large position. 
Uh, but, yeah, for the NIT, look, NIT doesn't have a lot of sexiness to it because it's not one of the 68 teams. But for a program that has gone through as much 500 records and CBIs and barely getting into postseason events and not going at all to having losing seasons, it is absolutely a huge crescendo from what it was of a year ago. And I'm, I'm absolutely fired up. And, again, I, I don't think the general college landscape, especially in Houston, which is a really, really tough college basketball town to get any interest would care, but it's just the next logical step. And I would say, with just about everybody coming back, with the exception of, uh, you know, Devontae Pollard and, and LaRon Barnes, there's no reason why this team cannot be a top three favorite in the tournament. I would then expect Kelvin to, to schedule up a little bit more because he knows he's got a good team coming back. And then you make that full push towards making the tournament. But, heck, let me tell you something, guys. This could happen. The Cougars absolutely, and this is not me being – you know, this big-time homer, they absolutely can win the tournament next week in Orlando. Speaking of which, I'll be there as well. I'm looking very much forward to that. But maybe for listeners who aren't as familiar with the AAC, um, who are going to be the biggest potential stumbling blocks in that championship match or maybe the round before that the Cougars uh, maybe don't want to face or might be uh, just, a, just a poor matchup for them? Well, I'll just say this. You know, the Cougars beat Cincinnati yesterday, and that was a very impressive win. I'm still a big Bearcat fan. They just played terrific defense. They're wide body. They'll throw four or five guys at you that are 6'8 and 255. And that just doesn't suit the Cougars particularly well. If you notice the game against the Bearcats yesterday, Burt Colley got a lot of playing time. Kyle Meyer got a lot of playing time. Chicken Knowles, who's really been a very consistent player for this basketball team for the most part this year, didn't play a lot because, again, their front line is going to beat you. Plus, Troy Copain is a guy that's been a very talented guard for them for a long time and has really been a thorn in the Cougars' side. Uh, they scare me. UConn, still terrific balance there. Uh, the one team that I wouldn't mind seeing is Temple. A, because we went up there and beat them in Philadelphia way early in the season. And secondly, you know, the Cougars just fell apart offensively in the second half against the Owls, but they had a double-digit lead against them at home. So uh, I respect all of them. It is literally a coin flipper for who can win this thing. I think legitimately there are five teams that could absolutely win this conference. Uh, but the teams I want to avoid early on, or as long as I can, would be like a Cincinnati or UConn. Uh, and I wouldn't mind seeing a semifinal matchup against uh, Tulsa and Temple because I think the Cougars do a pretty good job against those teams. You know, my mother is a, a big booster, a big U of H fan. And every time there's any sort of job opening, uh, she freaks and thinks that Kelvin Sampson might leave. I mean, just assessing the future of this program, how bright are things and how, I mean, I don't want to ask how committed Sampson is, but I mean, how, what do you think is the realistic chance that this might be a long-term berth for Coach Sampson? You know, you don't want to ask that uh, to him because that's just kind of one of those situations. Like, you know, if you said to me, Matt, you want to be the U of H announcer for the rest of your life? Of course I do. But if you know, the NBA and TNT said, hey, we need you to replace Marv Albert. I'm leaving. So, I, <laughs> I, you know, he's 60, so it's one of those situations that I don't know if he wants to uproot again. But, you know, Larry Brown's done it for all these years, so I, it, it's up to individu- in every individual. Uh, a lot of people call my radio show uh, on Sports Talk 790 saying, hey, do you know, think Kevin will be interested in the Rockets job? Well, yeah, he was interested three or four years ago. I can't imagine why he wouldn't be interested today. So, um, I, you know, I, I choose not to give a, a real – you know, committed answer to that because a I like him, b I want him to stay, but I certainly understand if there's one more professional challenge in front of him, whether it be at either big at a bigger school or at the NBA, I wouldn't begrudge him for that. And one of the last questions that I have for you is: as we head into March Madness, who do you have as your Player of the Year and the favorite heading into the NCAA tournament? Wow, boy, I, I like Oklahoma a lot. Um, I don't want, frankly, I don't watch a lot of other college basketball except uh, with U of H because I'm busy with the other things in the Rockets and whatnot. Uh, but Buddy has been fantastic for Oklahoma. Uh, my wife is a diehard Duke fan, so I probably watch more Blue Devil basketball than I should. Um, but they're not nearly the, the Duke team of yesteryear. I like Iowa's consistency. I think Iowa State could be a surprise. And if anybody ever counts out Michigan State with uh, that system and how they've been doing things the last 25 or so years, they're foolish. So uh, I think this year is wide open. Um, you mentioned Suleiman. I thought he's, you know, I thought the Maryland turnaround has been pretty good there as well. So, player of the year for me is probably a, a difficult chore, but those are the kind, kinds of teams that I watch. And, and as far as the American Athletic Conference player of the year is concerned, uh, even though that SMU will be nowhere near the tournament because of their own issues, uh, Nick Moore continues to be a thorn in most people's side. And uh, I, I think they're really going to regret the decision for them not to appeal to give him one more opportunity to go to the tournament. But that's the decision they made, and oh well. 
we got to move on without them in coming tournament time next week. Again, we have Matt Thomas, who is the voice of the U of H Cougars basketball team and host of a show on Sports Talk 790. Matt, for those that are interested in either following your show or following your work, where can they find you online and on social media? We are at sports790.com, and the proper gentleman of sports, the show that I do with uh, Lance Zerline every morning from 6 o'clock until 10. And I'm on Twitter at SportsMT and uh, going down to Florida next week early to do some Astro Spring training coverage. And then uh, Friday with a 6 o'clock uh, Houston time start for round one, it'll either be uh, UCF, Tulane, East Carolina, or South Florida, depending on how things turn out. And uh, all four of those teams, uh, the Cougars have had a terrific record against them. And the only blemish in that group was the South Florida matchup, which was obviously a huge disappointment earlier this year. But like I said, being the number two seed, a pretty nice pathway to the championship game on Sunday, and I hope, hope I'm there to be there for all that. We're looking forward to the tournament next week, and Matt, thanks again for joining us, and uh, enjoy South Florida. Enjoy uh, that trip. Thanks, friend. We'll talk to you guys soon. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. One of the big stories in college basketball this season has to be the job that head coach Billy Kennedy has done, leading the Aggies to the SEC regular season championship in their first conference title since their days in the Southwest Conference back in the 1980s. Perhaps more impressively is that they did it against a Kentucky team that was picked by most to run away with the league this season. Now joining us on the Weekly Brew to discuss the Aggies' postseason prospects is Brent Zwernerman, who covers Texas A&M for the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News. Brent, how are you doing this week? Good. How are you doing? Hey, not bad. We're definitely looking forward to March Madness approaching. I know we're all huge college basketball fans, but... I guess before we get started, uh, there are a lot of rumors circulating this offseason and, you know, the past few years that Coach Kennedy's days at Texas A&M might be on thin ice, kind of numbered. Obviously, he silences critics this season. What is the biggest reason this year behind Aggie's success? It was one of those deals where A&M hadn't had a whole lot of basketball success dating back to the late 1980s into the early 1990s and uh, on through the 1990s, really. And then Billy Gillespie came along. They hired him from UTEP in, in 2004, I think, right around in there. And next thing you know, by 2006, they're in the NCAA tournament. And they had six straight appearances, two under Gillespie, then four more under Mark Turgeon, now the head coach at Maryland. So Aggies got used to kind of playing in the NCAA tournament and that being a part of the, uh, the, the spring schedule, you know, when they're looking around for things to do A&M related. Well, Billy Kennedy arrived, and there were there were some things. There were some extenuating circumstances, and he didn't inherit a whole lot, actually, at that point. Next thing you know, they missed the tournament from, what, 2012 till, till last year. And so at that point, you know, Aggies are saying, okay, you know, Billy Kennedy is a nice guy, and, and he's a good role model for the players, but bottom line is you need to be a part of this 68-team field. They barely missed it last year. Daniel House got hurt, uh, hurt late in the season. And, uh, and you know, they dropped a few games that maybe they shouldn't have, and next thing you know, and even on Selection Sunday, they thought that there was an outside chance they might get in. So they were really close last year. And so this year you knew at that point, Billy Kennedy, after they lost in the NIT, he told us, and I thought it was it was different for him. His personality is not this, but he said, I guarantee you we will be in the NCAA tournament next season. And the reason he was so confident is the way it played out. A&M had one of the top recruiting classes in the nation last year with guys like Tyler Davis, Edmond Gilder, DJ Hogue. I mean, some guys who had grown used to winning in high school were winning state championships. And you combine those with some seniors, some really talented seniors, guys like House that I mentioned, Jalen Jones, Alex Caruso, and then this point guard who transferred in from South Florida, Anthony Collins, who was able to play right away because he had already graduated from South Florida, who had NCAA tournament experience. So you combine all those guys and you say, okay, this, this program might really be onto something now. And sure enough, I mean, you know, they start out 7-0 and in SEC play, had a two-game lead and lost a really close game at Arkansas. Next thing you know, they hit a dip and they lose five in a row at that point. And people are saying, okay, you know, this team might not even make the tournament again. But those seniors kind of came together. They led the freshmen by the hand. The freshmen came on strong late in the season. Next thing you know, they close out the regular season with six straight wins. And they win their first uh, conference regular season conference title in 30 years, uh, which which is uh, incredible that it's been that long for something like that. But uh, you know they partied hard on the court la- uh, last night at Reed Arena or yesterday afternoon and cut down the nets and all those things. But Billy Kennedy also reminded us, hey, the thing is everyone remembers teams by how they perform in the NCAA tournament, not so much how they win conference titles and so forth, because basketball is just such a different deal, obviously, than, than football. 
so anyway, so that's where they are right now. And, and this is a team I said all along, maybe early in the season, I said this is a sweet 16 team at minimum. And I said, and who knows, you know, wouldn't that be something if the Aggies ended up in the final four in NRG Stadium? I mean, that would be crazy. The, the Houston would be drunk with Aggies, more drunk with Aggies than it already is <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, drunk. having the largest alumni base in, in the nation for, for Texas A&M former students. So that would be something. But obviously they have a long way to go there. But I will tell you this, they have the, they have the elements to do it with that combination of savvy seniors and really talented freshmen. So we'll see what happens from here. I think it's interesting you allude to the difference between the football and the basketball programs because the SEC has proved to be kind of a crucible that has uh, been too much for the football team, but they've really excelled in basketball. So, I mean, just from a global perspective, how competitive is the SEC in terms of basketball? And what does it mean that the Aggies are at the top of that? No, it's a top-heavy league. I mean, if you look at um, some championships, what, over the past decade, obviously Kentucky is a perennial powerhouse. Um, always has been one of those few handful of teams that you point at and say Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, you know, those type of programs that are just flat basketball schools. So you have them in the SEC. And then Florida, under Billy Donovan, had those runs where they won a couple of titles. And so that was neat for the Gators and neat for the SEC. But, yes, it is is a top-heavy league. I mean, I I got used to covering the Aggies in the Big 12. And I, I got in on the tail end of the Southwest Conference 20 years ago. And uh, that was a, you know, there was an okay basketball league. Obviously, sometimes Texas could really be up and so forth, and so could the Aggies. And Tech was pretty good along the way there in the mid-'90s. But the Big 12 was something else altogether. I mean, they love basketball in the Big 12. And Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, obviously Kansas that I mentioned. I mean, these, these guys up in the, the colder states up Midwest, I mean, basketball's a bigger deal up there because it's played more year-round uh, because that, that nasty weather can keep them indoors more. So – the Big 12 was, was a tough league, and especially Kansas leading the way there. So when the Aggies went into the SEC, um, you know, the thought was, okay, this is one area where the basketball team will have it a little better. Well, you know, going back to what I said at the beginning, they still didn't make the NCAA tournament, and they had kind of struggled going back to your first uh, observation that Billy Kennedy was kind of on the hot seat as of about two years ago. And uh, but But again, you know, the idea that you can – share a league title with Kentucky, but not just share it with them. They actually, the Aggies own the top seed. So they're really in the standings. You know, you're going to see Texas A&M first because they beat Kentucky this season. So that's really a feather in this team's cap as well. The game was in Reed Arena. If it had been in Lexington, Kentucky, the outcome might have been different. But they were fortunate this year that the Wildcats were, were here in College Station. So, so yeah, the SEC is, is certainly a top-heavy league, but any time you have to contend with the Kentucky Wildcats, that's going to make it tough right there, and the Aggies uh, more than held their own this year. As a U of H alum, and uh, you know, I cover U of H as well, is Daniel House, who was part of that diaspora uh, when James Dickey left and Kelvin Sampson took over. You know, Tayshawn Thomas going to Oklahoma, House went to A&M, and he's been very successful there. So, I mean, just from your standpoint, watching the team day in and day out, how key a component has he been, and, uh, and what, what are we missing here in Houston now that he's uh, playing for A&M? You knew right away, obviously, when House transferred. I mean, he's been a talent. Everyone knew that from back in what his Hightower days that he was he was uh, an extremely talented guy. And it, it's funny, I've had two different people who didn't really know Daniel's background uh, this year say, "Man, you know that guy that uh, he looks a lot like uh, Carl Lewis." And I, and I kind of laughed. I said, "You know what? He does look a lot like Carl Lewis." And, I, and these folks didn't even realize Daniel's U of H background. So I thought that was kind of a neat little add to the whole deal, but. You know, he's been he's been a lot of fun to cover, good guy to cover. He has a little daughter that he brought to the Meet the Aggies Day back preseason. And uh, <clears throat> when we were on the court yesterday kind of watching these guys celebrate, Daniel was just flat out crying. You know, tears were running down his cheeks, and he was holding his teammates and kind of clutching this SEC uh, deal. It wasn't really a trophy or anything. It was kind of this, I don't know what you'd call it, a cardboard cutout of the SEC teams. or I, I'm not sure what it was, but he was clutching that. And you could tell how much it meant to him. Now, we'll say this. He has benefited greatly from a fellow senior transfer in Jalen Jones. Those guys are kind of – they're built pretty similarly. But Jalen will play more inside. He can play inside-outside, whereas Daniel's, you know, mainly an outside guy. So those two guys really complemented each other. And they actually, um, you know, kind of have similar backgrounds. Jalen started out at SMU, Daniel at U of H, and – and they came together, and now they're they're leading this team in the NCAA tournament. But from a personal perspective, 
you know, Daniel's been a whole lot of fun to cover and always been helpful and always been kind of funny and insightful in his interviews as well, which, of course, as, as reporters, we love that <laughs> part of it, too. And one of the things that kind of strikes me as a little bit rare for the Texas A&M basketball team this year is that they have four seniors in the starting lineup. And again, you had mentioned, uh, you know, Jalen Jones transferring from SMU, House again coming from Houston, Anthony Collins, uh, you know, the graduate transfer from USF. Uh, the guy that sticks out to me is Alex Caruso. I mean, A&M Consol, local product there for College Station. You wrote an article this past week talking about, uh, you know, he took his first dribble on the court at Reed Arena when he was at, at the age of four. What has it meant for the program to have a guy like Caruso be such a productive player, averaging, you know, nearly eight points a game, five assists, and having, uh, you know, the A&M all-time career leader in steals? He's a guy I've watched, obviously, since high school, and I've known his dad for 20 years, Mike Caruso, who's an associate AD at A&M. Just a really good guy, and, and um, Mike Caruso uh, was, a, was a pretty good basketball player at, at Creighton under Eddie Sutton at that time, back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. So Alex had a basketball background, but when he signed with A&M, I can remember some Aggies and even some outsiders say, oh, well, you know, they're just doing this kid a favor because his dad works in the A&M athletics department and he's a local guy and all those. So Alex had to kind of deal with that a little bit. But I knew from having seen him in high school, I said, you know, he's real and he's he's legitimate and he, kind of, he, he can play the college game at this level. And it's one of those things where he hasn't quite gotten the notoriety that maybe some other, some of his predecessors that, <laughs> with the Aggies had because they did go to the NCAA tournament and he's missed out on it his first three years. So you talk about a guy who's really paid his dues and as a senior uh, is now going into the tournament with, like I said, what I think is a minimum Sweet 16 team. So it really all came together. And, again, he used to – I put in that article that you mentioned that he and Reed Arena grew up together because Alex was born in 1994, Reed Arena opened in 1998. So his dad would take him up there and he'd dribble a ball around. He couldn't even make a basket at that point because he couldn't heave the ball that high up 10 feet. So, that I mean, you talk about a neat story and a neat local story. And not only that, Alex has been so steady through the years. He's now the school's all-time assist and steals leader. Uh, and that's really saying something. It's, you know, it's one thing to, to be the leader in one category and so forth after – starting most of, most of your career over four years. But to have two categories like that is, is really cool. And, you know, a lot of us have seen him kind of grow up before our eyes. are really happy for the Caruso family, kind of the way it's turned out this season. And I, I saw his dad yesterday and mother on the court, and, of course, their eyes were very wet, just kind of taking it all in. And, you know, it was really a neat scene to see the Caruso's all together enjoying that, that time. Brent, just kind of looking at A&M's whole season, they had some really huge wins this year. Uh, Vince Gonzaga, Texas, Baylor, Iowa State, Kentucky. Um, tell us, what kind of momentum does that create going into March here in the tournament? Yeah, if there are criticisms of the you know the SEC overall, the Aggies kind of answered those with what you just said by going, was it 4-0 against Big 12 opponents? They beat Texas, Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas State. So that was neat for, you know, and, and of course the Aggies were, were joking that they're the they're the Big Twelve champions, and, <laughs> and others would remind them, well, you didn't you didn't play Kansas in that group, but um, certainly a, a boost to their overall schedule was to do that, and and uh, you know, and it was also kind of a source of pride for a And M, you know, for a And M fans who had seen the transition from the Big Twelve and the, the critics who had said, you know, the Aggies are not going to have success in this new league, and why would they ever do this and move on. So it was neat from that perspective, from an A&M fan's perspective, that they would uh, do so well against some, you know, some ranked teams. Talking about Iowa State and Baylor in particular. So, and I think every one of those games was uh, a double-digit victory, if I'm not mistaken. So, that was that was, um, you know, a, a neat deal from A&M's end, and that they were able to kind of do that against some of their old former foes, and to have Texas back on the schedule. I mean, it's a shame a little bit that uh, they finally play the Longhorns again and it's on an island, you know, out in the Bahamas <laughs> where, you know, a bunch of Aggies and Longhorns can't go to it uh, to, to enjoy that. But maybe that's a that's a good start in, in these teams maybe, you know, playing in the future as they move forward. So, so yeah, definitely a bolster for those who say, oh, the SEC just really isn't that tough anyway outside of your Kentuckys and, you know, so, uh, so forth. The fact that they did so well out of conferences – is going to really help this team with its seeding, which you're probably looking at a four or five seeding right now for the Aggies in the in the NCAA tournament. 
and maybe some of that has to do with how they do this week in Nashville at the SEC tournament, which I'm I'm heading out for on Thursday, which, uh, you know, it's a neat setting. It's one of those things there uh, in Nashville, which is such a great town anyway, but Kentucky fans just swarm that place, <laughs> as you can imagine. It's just a sea of blue, and I'm talking about out in the streets out there, too, where all the clubs and bars are and everything in such a festive atmosphere. Well, I'm expecting to at least see a little more maroon this year, you know, based on based on the Aggies' success. And as you all know, there are Aggies everywhere. I mean, they're all over the That's nation. That's true. <laughs> so they do tend to, uh, you know, in something like this, I would imagine you're going to see more A&M fans than you've seen, oh, you know, in, in 20 years because the Big 12 tournament was typically in Kansas City. And, you know, and A&M always didn't have the most success in that league as well until Gillespie came along. So I would suspect this is going to be a little different now in terms of A&M fans kind of responding and going, see, going and seeing their uh, their favorite team play in Nashville this season. Now, kind of speaking of Nashville and, uh, you know, everything that's going to go on on Broadway Street that week, uh, A&M plays, as you mentioned, on Friday. They're either going to play Arkansas or they're going to play Florida. Uh, A&M pounded Arkansas on January 2nd, 92-69. to I kind of squeaked out a win on January 12th against Florida, 71-68. Both of those were home games. Do you think playing on a neutral environment is going to kind of impact how A&M uh, prepares for this game? And how do you see A&M matching up with either one of these teams? Yeah, you know, if you look at their, their schedule, most of their losses, I think they just had the one home loss to South Carolina, and that was that was a that was a really close game, 81-78. So, uh, you know, they did go up to Arkansas, and that's when that losing streak started. It was a really close game, uh, 74-71. They lose to the Razorbacks. So certainly there's some legitimacy to the idea that, Reed Arena did offer a home court advantage going back to a guy like Alex Caruso, who has <laughs> been on Reed Arena all, you know, on that court all his life. Yeah, it did. It did kind of provided A&M a, a pretty uh, heavy home court advantage. And, and they really struggled. If you look at those losses, they, they lost at Vanderbilt at Arkansas at Alabama at LSU, you know, in that stretch. So yeah, there is something to the idea that uh, playing so far away and playing against, you know, playing really in the heart of the SEC up there is uh, it makes it more difficult. And I will say this about AM and the SEC, you know, being the, the as I say, the westernmost outpost, you know, it, it, they don't have a lot of the league championships in, in much in proximity to, to College Station or Southeast Texas. And if you had said, okay, it's in New Orleans, that would be a different story. That would be as close as you're going to get something like that. But right now they play, they've played these um, – championships pretty pretty far from college station so certainly that helps some of these other teams that that are much closer geographically in terms of their fan turnout and so forth so uh yeah it's whether they get florida or arkansas i i I really expect a a good game because you know those games were were all fairly close well i guess that one against arkansas to start out with wasn't close but after that those other two games uh florida and, and then at arkansas were we're pretty tight. So, yeah, I would expect a good game either way. And that game is at uh, noon on Friday for, for those interested in it as well. Being a Houston podcast, we're obviously very excited about having the Final Four here in Houston. I'll be covering that for HCN, and I'm looking very much forward to it. Just uh, you know, kind of taking a wider look at the college basketball landscape, who do you think are the teams most likely to be there? Is a among them? And then who's, the, who's been the best player this year in college basketball, according to what you've seen? You know, I, it's so wide open year from what you've seen through throughout the uh the season i mean it's been one of those seasons where you say man there there truly could be any number of teams that that could be left standing in houston and i will say this from the aggies perspective you know that that is a nugget for them uh you know the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow really with the idea that they could go on this incredible journey in the ncaa tournament and end up 100 miles from from reed arena there at nrg stadium and uh you got to say overall, uh, Buddy Hield, right from OU. I mean, is there any argument there in terms of Player of the Year? Y'all have any better ideas? I don't. I, I can't think of any. I mean, that's the consensus pick that we've heard. You know, no, no one, no one from the SEC, which is kind of my my discipline, of course, in terms of watching. But uh, you know, I think he's probably the best player, and and uh, uh, Really, I'm not not sure that there's a close second at this point. Maybe you throw in Valentine from uh, Michigan State. I mean, he's had a great year, senior, po- probable lottery pick. 
But other than that, I think uh, Buddy Hill's probably the odds-on favorite. Interestingly enough, uh, the other two guests that we've had on the show have both said the same thing. So <laughs> you're right on par with them. One of those things where, you know, OU had the, 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 the late kind of drop, you know, and so forth, where his, his numbers declined and they had some losses and everything. But I think he was still so far out front that, that he was still going to be the guy at that point. And, you know, you would <laughs> – You'd like to throw in a guy like Ben Simmons in there, you know, a true freshman and just a remarkable player and a guy who um, I watched up close and, and did a feature story on. They actually, The Chronicle actually sent me to Baton Rouge to, to sit down with him, and he, he's just a, a neat kid. But bottom line is you're talking about an LSU program that was really disappointing this season, so you can't really factor him in the mix because to me, if you're going to be player of the year, your team better reflect that as well, and certainly the Tigers have not. So, so, yeah, you got, I think you've got to go healed with the player of the year. And definitely looking forward to March Madness and uh, looking forward to see how the Aggies can do because I know if, uh, you know, the Aggies are here in the Final Four, uh, the city of Houston is going to absolutely turn out and support them. So uh, it would be great for the community and hosting the Final Four here at NRG Stadium. But, Brent, we definitely appreciate you taking the time out and joining us on the Weekly Brew this week. And uh, for those that are interested in following your work, uh, not only leading up to the SEC tournament and March Madness, but, you know, just for Aggies in general, where can they find you online? Probably the best way, you know, I link everything on Twitter. So it's at Brent Zorneman, B-R-E-N-T-Z-W-E-R-N-E-M-A-N. And uh, that's the best way. Or, of course, cron.com or eastonchronicle.com, and, you know, and then search Aggies at that point. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I'll be in on, on the uh, NCAA tournament regardless of, of how A&M ends up doing because it's such a big deal for our city, you know, to, to host the Final Four. So certainly looking forward to that and always – this is one of my favorite times of the year, obviously, just because it's warming up. The, you know, the weather's nice, and you just get to watch a whole lot of college basketball, which is really cool. So I appreciate y'all having me on, and we'll catch up down the road. Absolutely, Brent. We appreciate it. Enjoy your trip at Nashville this week. Okay, sure will. We'll see y'all. Closing time. So if you like college basketball, I hope you absolutely loved our preview today for the conference tournament. Again, thanks to John Morris, the voice of the Baylor Bears, for discussing Baylor in the Big 12. Uh, Matt Thomas, who's the voice of UH Basketball, for discussing the AAC tournament coming up this week in Orlando and the Cougs and kind of the outlook that Coach Sampson has done for them. Also, thanks to Brent Zorneman for joining us, who uh, is covering Texas A&M for the Houston Chronicle. I thought he provided some great insight into the Aggies and Coach Kennedy and what they've done this season. But uh, guys, I was thrilled thrilled with this week's episode. I'm curious, what did you guys think? Well, everybody knows I'm a big college basketball fan. Most of what I do professionally, at least this time of the season, is basketball related. I've been covering, saw De'Aaron Fox score uh, 40 points in the playoffs two times in a row. I've been watching a lot of UH college basketball, so I was thrilled that we were able to have such uh, qualified and uh, articulate and, uh, you know, beautifully baritoned voiced uh, guests on. So uh, I thought it was a great episode. I can't imagine anybody not liking it, but I'm sure we'll hear from some Trump people that didn't like it for some reason. College basketball is second only to college football football in my um, sports loves. So I, I loved talking to John Morris and talking about Baylor basketball as a total Baylor homer. I, I was uh, just thrilled to talk about where Baylor basketball is headed, hopefully for the better in the tournament. Uh, no, but I had a great time today getting the other perspectives about U of H and uh, the Aggies, of course. And um, yeah, I, I had a great time. Also, um, we'll be heading to We Desserts later for something. I'm not sure what it will be yet, but probably some of those cookies from last time. Again, thanks to our sponsors, We Desserts, for helping make this show possible. Again, you can always check them out at 3411 Kirby. All listeners of the Weekly Brew podcast get 10% off. Just tell Penny and Jen that the guys from the Weekly Brew sent you by. And now it's that time of the week. You know you're all waiting for it. iTunes reviews. Kevin, I heard we had a review this week. Tell us about it. We have one review this week, which given the amount of listeners that we have, um, I don't know. I don't want to be negative about it. I appreciate it tremendously, of course. But there's a lot of listeners out there, a very large amount of listeners in relatively few reviews. So I feel like I'm going to first admonish you guys. Come on. Get with it. I mean, we put a lot of work into this show. It's a very little amount of work to go to iTunes and leave a review, although I do understand that iTunes occasionally messes up. That's not your fault. So if you've left a review before and it didn't show up, go back and leave another one. That would really help us out. But this review comes from, and I often don't recognize the names on iTunes, um, this one very recognizable, Dolores Lozano, who uh, listeners will recall from last week, um, ESPN Deportes, Baylor grad, uh, one of our favorite people in the city of Houston. You should totally check her out on uh, social media. But it's a sit, sit back, listen, be informed with great people. I've never been referred to as great people before. 
Austin, Kevin, and Jeremy are passionate about politics, sports, and pop culture, and more. I was honored to be a guest on their podcast this past week. I learned a lot from the group of the different subjects touched on during the podcast. These guys know what they're talking about, and their dedication is inspiring. I am blushing reading that. I'm a redhead, so it's very easy for me to blush, but uh, it's definitely happening. Need the scoop on things going on in Houston? Question mark. This is the podcast for you! Exclamation mark. Great use of punctuation. I totally applaud her for that. I highly recommend everyone subscribe to the Weekly Brew. You'll learn something new. All caps. Every episode and then a hashtag knowledge is power i have to say unequivocally that's the best review that anyone has ever written for us so great work dolores we appreciate you coming on as a guest appreciate your review ship and uh the rest of the listeners should uh take a page from her book go read that review you can even copy and paste that review into the box if that's easier for you that still helps us out just as much so thank you dolores the rest of you uh, uh step up your game come on Thanks for the kind words, Loris. We definitely appreciate that. We also encourage all of our listeners, uh, if you have not left a review, go to iTunes and do so as we speak. Uh, Just give us five stars. Tell us what you like. Uh, Give us segment ideas or uh, any sort of feedback. We always uh, take that to heart, and uh, we always look to improve the show and make it a better listen for you each week. And if you can't get enough of us, you can also follow us on our social media platforms. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We post content there pretty much daily. Also, you can find us online at www.weeklybrewcast.com. You can find the latest episode there posted each Monday. We've also got some older episodes posted on there, as well as, you know, you can always go back to iTunes and check out some older episodes. Kevin? Yeah, we've had a lot of new listeners. Our our listenership is growing, expanding tremendously very quickly, which means that a lot of people that have joined us for the last two, three, four episodes haven't necessarily gone back and heard some of the older content. And uh, there's some really good stuff back there. Some of it's topical. Sometimes we cover the story of the week or whatever. Some of it's not. Um, So U of H fans really should go back and listen to episodes 16 and 17, which is uh, we talked to Coach Kelvin Sampson of the U of H men's basketball team. Then we talked to Howard Lorch in the episode after that, who was um, a team manager with the, uh, you know, Game of the Century era, Guy V. Lewis, Houston Cougars, and that was a really fascinating look at like um, integration era basketball and sort of the uh, the effect they had there. Uh, another episode, if you're a Baylor guy, episode 23, Elliot Coffey came on, talked Baylor. Um, that was uh, really good. And then obviously anybody from the city of Houston would love John McClain from episode 26. So just take a look at the iTunes list there. There's a lot of uh, what we call evergreen content that's always going to be uh, fascinating and interesting. And so feel free to go back through and uh, listen to some of our older stuff as well. We noticed some of you guys doing that and we appreciate it. Just make sure that you brew responsibly as Kevin so kindly puts it but again we had a great episode this week Uh, again thanks to john morris matt thomas and brent zorneman for joining us on our college basketball preview Uh, we hope that you know if you're a degenerate gambler that you're going to make the right decisions uh this week when it comes to conference tournament play and that you have enough money to wager on march madness but uh, guys i really enjoyed this week's episode i hope all of our listeners did as well and for my co-host kevin cook and jeremy paxton i'm austin staten we'll see you next week and brew responsibly You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.